You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. On today's episode, we're doing a special water cooler episode with everybody. We have everybody back on the podcast. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Senior News Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Editor and Chief Film Critic Chris Evangelista. Hi. And editors Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And for the last time, why Tranbuie? Hey, everyone. Okay, let's jump into HD. <laughs> what have we been doing? Well, I am leaving Slash Film. This is my last week at Slash Film. I am going to be joining Inverse as their entertainment editor. Um, and that will be starting next week. But as of now, I have to say goodbye to all my beautiful slash film colleagues and friends. And of course, the main crew, you guys. Oh my God, <sighs> I'm going to cry. Don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're we're going to miss you, HD. I feel like, uh, you know, from the beginning, HD, like even behind the scenes, like, you guys don't get a look into our Slack channel, but every morning she would be, you know, bringing the enthusiasm, always greeting us with like uh, some kind of uh, funny uh, gif, gif, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like you brought, uh, even 
not just on, like on the site to, and on the podcast, but even to behind the scenes, you you brought a vibe to Slash Home that is going to be missed. Yeah, I I can't put into words how much I will miss Slash Film. Like I think I came into my own as a writer and as an editor here, as a film critic. Um, and I've been with Slash Film for the past five years, which is crazy to me. I haven't had a job that long. Um, and this is a job that, yeah, it's, it's been more than a job. It's been, it's been like a way of life. I think about it all the time and I'm so, I'm always excited to come into work and to write about movies and to talk about movies. And even when I'm not on work on working, I will check into the Slack to chat movies in our movie discussion channel, just because like, that's how much I enjoy talking with you guys and with our expanding crew of, of writers too because we all love movies and that's what I've, I've loved so much about being here at Slash Film um, and I, I I was in such a different place uh, when I first started Slash Film and I'm, I'm so excited about um, where I am now and where Slash Film has brought me and I'm, I'm really sad to be leaving it honestly I, I I'm, I'm gonna miss you guys so much um, talk and especially this podcast like we haven't done a full podcast like this in many 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 months maybe a year i think the last time was the, the best movie moments of 2021 yeah yeah and um i i miss i love doing this podcast with you guys and just chatting for hours <laughs> about movies and then annoying everyone who listens to us because we get in really <laughs> mundane and tedious sometimes arguments but i wouldn't have it any other way um but yeah i i can't I can't articulate just how important Slash Film has been to me over the past five years. And um, the people who have come to Slash Film and to Slash Film Daily to listen to us, you know, ramble on about movies. Who'd have thought? Not me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Can I just say that um, when Peter first promoted me to be an editor five years ago, and we were looking for a new writer to replace me, since I was taking the position of Angie Han, who had moved on to Mashable, and we received hundreds and hundreds of applications. And we eventually, from that same pile, would also hire Ben and Chris. Um, but the very first decision I ever made as an editor at Slash Film was to hire HT. Uh-huh. And um, watching her go from being the, the new person to being a trusted writer, and then a trusted editor... Um, and now somebody who I consider to be a genuinely dear friend outside of work um, has been really powerful and I'm going to greatly miss her. And we're, we, we can't replace HGS slash film. We, we were, which we're, we can only hire, not hire, hire and promote more people <laughs> to um, work around her, uh, around the shape she's left on the slash film couch. Um, well, we're training like three people to replace her or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take three people. Yeah. Um, but it just, it, it uh, HT has been one of working with her and getting to know her and becoming her friend outside of work has, has been one of the great pleasures of the past five years for me. So I uh, HT, you may be leaving slash film, but not leaving my life. You and I are going to be friends forever. Same here, Jacob. I, you've helped me so much. Uh, and this is going to get extremely sappy because this is you know <laughs> the last one. Uh, but Jacob, I, you, when you took a chance on me and then when you just encouraged me to, to, you know, write more reviews and to write my own columns and to put my opinion out there um, and assert myself, I think 
you uh, more than anyone has has really helped me grow um, as a person and as a writer. And I'm so thankful for you for that. Peter, before we get into like the the traditional water cooler stuff, like does anybody want to like I don't know share favorite memories about <laughs> times with HT or something? I feel like we're all you know just like on the verge of tears here listening to this. We might as well go full force and then just like you know clean it up and then <laughs> move on with the rest of the episode. Yeah, everyone cry over me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, one of my favorite things about HT just just in general is just that like. Uh, she has such a, such a sense of like just positivity and like how she expresses her love for film. And uh, so she has um, a different, some different tastes than I do, especially when it comes to like things like anime and whatnot. And even though I haven't like, you know, been bitten by the bug and like all of a sudden dug deep into anime, whenever like she wrote about it or mentioned something about it, I was always interested to read what she had to say because the way she writes about it actually makes me interested in something that I have pretty much actively avoided for pretty much my entire life. And so like the fact that anyone can, uh, turn my head and like get me to like pay attention and at least like express interest in something like that. And even though I, I still have like a queue full of things that like at some point when I will like all of a sudden dive into anime movies and things like that, uh, you know, j- just like being able to get that perspective and understand, you know, wh- why someone loves something that I, I don't necessarily have an investment in uh, was really a treat and just kind of, you know, it, it helps open your eyes to, to the stuff that's outside of your own purview of the, the stuff that you seek out. Brad, like, I think you said when she announced to us that she was leaving, that it was insane that you've never actually met her in person. And I haven't either. It's like so crazy to think about. Um, I know that, you know, Jacob and, and Chris, and I think Peter, right? Like you, you've all had the chance to hang out with HT in person. Yeah. I was going to say my favorite memory of her is hanging out at Comic-Con and like it was her first Comic-Con and she was like, so wide eyed, not knowing what to expect and like just seeing everything. But at the same time, like, uh, you, you know, like in the middle of all this craziness was able to like, you know, she looks over to me and says like something so insightful about the convention. I forget, forget what it was, but it was just like, it took me 10 years to like understand that about this convention. And she just like showed up and saw it and like was able to, to uh, take that out of it. So, yeah. I don't even remember what that was, but I'm glad I don't I remember what it was, but I remember <laughs> I, also we, uh, we were probably a little drunk because we were at like one of those parties <laughs> after whatever, but I don't know. Like I, I just like my first comic con, I was like, so in the middle of like the craziness that I would had no like insight into what it like, you know, this organism of that convention is. And I was just so impressed that like you in that same position were able to kind of like step back and see it for, you know, from a wide angle. Thank you. Uh, I have a Comic Con HD story if we want if we're if we're sharing moments uh, because of me this um <laughs> we can cut this if you want us to HD but um uh, it always I always think about because it, it makes me laugh which was Peter and I were hanging out at La Puerta which is a, a tequila bar in San Diego about a five minute walk from the convention center and uh, you were at another event and you texted us like hey uh, where are you guys can I bring a friend and we're like yeah bring everybody. And you brought somebody who you had met in line. Um, and <laughs> first of all, I was super impressed. HD is the kind of person who makes a friend in line. 
then I realized that uh, this guy so clearly thought he was going to like be flirt with HD and go back to her place, and now she dragged him to a tequila bar to hang out with her bosses. And he <laughs> sat there and, like for, like an hour as we all tried to talk about movies and Comic Con, and clearly he's like really really annoyed. And I keep on thinking about how positive and wonderful HD was to have convinced this guy to come meet her bosses when it's clearly the last thing he wanted. Well, I told him that's where I was going, so he was down for it. <laughs> it was so funny. Uh, Chris, do you have any, any HT memories? Oh, I can't pick one. I just, I love when, I love when I go to New York and we go to screenings together. That's like a treat for me because just getting to New York is a hassle, but it's worth it when we get to hang out at those screenings. And uh, honestly, my favorite HT memory is when I had her on 21st Century Spielberg and she pronounced Tintin the right way and I was like what the like it like broke my brain because I'd never heard it pronounced do it say it HT for all the kids at home okay here's the proper way to say Tintin right now I I was imagine hearing that for the first time and I was like what is going and like I was like have I been saying it wrong for my entire life anyway that's just one of many good memories Oh, yeah, I, I had a lot of trouble trying to come up with something, but I, I ultimately just settled on like, I'm so glad that I worked with HT during that five year stretch that we've had. Like, I know that the world was awful, uh, mostly for that, almost that entire stretch, but the movies and, and shows and stuff that we got, some of them were incredible. And like, just being able to talk to HT about Watchmen or Portrait of a Lady on Fire or Parasite or you know, your name or like any of the things that, um, that we like sort of shared our interest in, you know, our interests in, uh, never have I ever, or like, um, I don't know, like there are so many things, but, um, just, just like the, uh, the art was made that much better by, um, by HG's insights, I think. So, uh, thanks HG. Thank you, Ben. Uh, and I want to say one thing to Brad before is that one of my greatest regrets upon leaving here is that I didn't get to convert you to anime. <laughs> I, maybe, I got ben, I got Chris. Maybe in your in your honor, as as you depart, I will start to dig into anime and 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 see what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> You know, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, when we used to hire people for Slash Home, we would give them an assignment to to write a news story, like a fake news story, uh, to see how they would do under pressure of, I think it was a half an hour. Did yep. it? Yeah, it's a half an hour. Uh, and we gave a HT story. Actually, I think it might be the same that Ben and Chris got as well. It was that uh, Martin Scorsese was hired to direct a Star Wars gangster film uh, about uh, that Job of the Hut is going to be involved in. And I, HT... Do you mind if we 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 we, we read we 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 have a dramatic reading oh of a segment of this of HT's first unpublished news story on Slash Film? Sure, I don't even remember what I wrote. It's so yeah. So I'm gonna do. This. I don't know how dramatic it will be, but like it, there, there is a little bit of uh, some prescient Star Wars criticism here, uh, and also stuff that feels a little bit more relevant today. So uh, the article is about Martin Scorsese doing a Job of the Hut movie, and in here. Uh, she confirms that Boba Fett will be in the movie and says, quote, the unfathomably, unfathomably popular, that's right, I said it, intergalactic bounty hunter who worked for Darth Vader and Jabba will surely steal the scenes in the Hut standalone film after rumors swirled for years about Fett getting his own solo film. And you Boba Fett fanboys may get your wish if Scorsese's Hut family movie takes off. And then at the end, 
She asks, so how gangster will this film actually be? And how much Jabba will be in it? Who knows? Either way, Diego Luna will probably be first in line for this movie. Linking to the story about how Diego Luna just wants to touch Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, here here we are years later with the Boba Fett series that sucked and Diego Luna starring in his own Star Wars show. (laughs) And still unable to touch Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, not not yet. But we're we're fingers crossed. Maybe he'll meet another hut somewhere in the galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting closer. Okay, uh, it, it, does anybody else have anything last to say about HT before we actually move into the water cooler proper? Uh, well, I just want to say that I love all you guys. <laughs> and um, just to re- reiterate, I will miss you all so much. Oh. So much. We'll miss you more. Okay, let's jump into it. Uh, Jacob, what have you been up to? Um, my house goes on the market. Uh, this week, if anybody wants to buy a house in Austin, Texas, so we can <laughs> so we can move. So, past months have been incredibly tiring and terrible. Lots of lifting, lots of moving, lots of cleaning. Um, so I spent the past uh, two months in a state of dead exhaustion, and since then, I had to go to my mom's house to dog sit for her while she's out of town on uh, her own family business, and here for two weeks throughout Halloween, I was like. I'm going to do some haunted houses. This is my tradition. I always do haunted house stuff around Halloween, go to haunted house attractions. And there's a really good new one near Austin this year called Bat City Scaregrounds. That was really scrappy, but really, really good. Um, but since I was in two hours from home in my mom's house in San Antonio, Texas, I said, with no friends in San Antonio, I'm going to do haunted houses alone. Has anybody else here done, like, gone to haunted house attractions by themselves, no friends, no family, completely solo, or is this around the only one who's been dumb enough to do this? I haven't. I have not uh, either. I'm, I'm also, with Petra. I don't go so. to haunted houses with groups, so. <laughs> well, what I learned is that when you do a haunted house solo, I did um, I did one that was completely in the middle of nowhere, like Texas Chainsaw Country, middle middle of dark middle of dark woods, incredibly unsafe. Clearly, no city inspector ever been through it. I had a great time. Um, I also went to uh, you know, uh, go ahead and prepare your booze. I went to SeaWorld because they have a really strong um. Halloween offering, even if you have issues with SeaWorld, and I I do, but I really want to do like a whole bunch of houses. And what I learned from both of these is that when you go through a place solo, whole different experience because the actors uh, are more inclined to genuinely interact with you, and sometimes you capture them unaware, like more than once. I think because the actors are listening for or looking for groups of like you know six or more, they don't see a solo person coming. Which means that you come into a scene and two actors will be just chatting out of character and see you and rush their marks to try to get in a position to scare you. <laughs> I, I learned that in a weird way, going solo is actually less scary than going in a group because the actors won't see you coming literally. Maybe someday, maybe someday I will do a house solo because that sounds terrifying. Because right now it's either I'm the shield for Kitra. Do you know what I mean? Like she like hides behind me. Or, like, I'm filming her from behind for Ordinary Adventures, and, like, she's getting the scares, and I'm just, like, getting to watch it. I will say that I've, lear- I've learned over the years that um, being in the front is actually the best place to be, because most actors won't target the front. Most actors will wait for the first person to walk by their hiding place before they attack the middle or the end. So, uh, my advice to people who are scared is, yes, is, is it scary to be in the front and walk in darkness first? Yeah. Then you do, you do 20 of these, and you realize, oh. 
it's the safest place. If I'm in the front, no one's going to bug me. So I, so I oftentimes get forced to the front when I'm with groups, and I end up not getting all the biggest scares, and I'm able to just enjoy the scenery. So that's my advice to you, Brad. It's go in front. <laughs> I'm not going to any haunted houses. I'm I'm too much of a chicken shit. <laughs> they can't touch you, Brad. Nothing bad can happen. Uh, the The thing I want to ask you, Jacob, is how do you compare something as big as, you know, an event held by uh, SeaWorld, like Hall of Scream, to like one of the more scrappy events that you went to? Uh, SeaWorld, uh, they, they, they put on a good show. I think that they, they generally do a good job. They don't, they don't have, they don't have the, you know, the budget of Universal, but also uh, the, the, the line management was really strong, though. Like, if you watch, I, if you watch like, videos, you go jump on YouTube and look at Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights, you see these incredibly crowded, packed houses where you're essentially in a long line snaking through the houses a lot of the times. Whereas uh, SeaWorld, you know, to their credit, really spaced groups out. Uh, the scenery is really well done. They really seem to care about putting on a show. Uh, it's just really, really slick and well done. And like, it's probably most com- com- comparable to um, an Austin house called House of Torment, which is uh, one I've been to every year for a decade. That is super slick and super like rehearsed. Uh, clearly has millions of dollars invested in it, like just like Hollywood level uh, effects and makeup and scenery. Uh, but I do think that, you know, there definitely is a corporate edge of those. You definitely feel like actors sometimes, you know, hitting their marks and resetting. Um, you're very much going through scenes where actors are under very strict instructions to do this. Things go as they're supposed to. And that's sometimes very fun. I definitely prefer, uh, at my core, a place like, you know, use an example, the new place near Austin, Bat City Scaregrounds, which doesn't, which has a fraction of the budget, uh, but a lot of imagination, a lot of spirit. Actors who are freely improvising with you like using the space around you to like uh really do things that you won't see in a more rehearsed area um there's lots of imagination lots of creativity a lot of hopes and dreams and cardboard you know and plaster as, as opposed to you know uh multi-million dollar installation um it really depends on what you want out of, out of a haunted house you know halloween's over now so it's kind of <laughs> you have to wait a year for people you know take this advice but I definitely say it's really worth seeking out if you live in a neighborhood or a community that has haunted houses, seeking out both because you will definitely get two very distinct flavors. And honestly, the more I do, and I've done, you know, dozens of haunted houses across Texas now, uh, I'm starting to really lean toward the ones that are a bit scrappier because I think that they tend to just generally generally uh, have the, the, the freedom to put on more of an experience for you as opposed to just hit their marks. Yeah, I agree. Brad, what have you been up to? Uh, so uh, both of my podcasts are uh, active again. Uh, since we don't do too many water coolers around here with all of us, I just wanted to bring that up since I only come on every so often. Go Flicks Yourself is back and regularly published, uh, posted, whatever you want to call it, every single week uh, on Wednesdays. And then also uh, as a new season of Saturday Night Live has begun, I'm also doing the 10 to 1 podcast, reviewing and recapping every single new episode of Saturday Night Live. So feel free to check that out along with my uh, new reviews whenever there are new episodes. And also, I've been enjoying time playing a lot of pinball because a friend of mine recently opened an arcade here in town, an old school uh, video game arcade with actual cabinet arcade games, skee-ball, pop shot basketball, and tons of cool pinball machines, both old and new. Um, the new ones are really fun because he, he uh, went out of his way to get the... Uh, the new Halloween pinball machine with a bunch of cool artwork by Jason Edmiston. Uh, he's got a couple of Jurassic Park machines. He's got uh, several Terminator machines. There's like a really cool Apollo 13 pinball machine that has a 13 ball multi ball, and it is insane. 
you lose almost all of the balls immediately, but then you kind of you kind of <laughs> you kind of keep maybe like four of them. But it's just so it's it's just cool to see all like thirteen pinballs drop into this machine at once. Um, but yeah, it's, it's if you're ever in my area, Northwest Indiana, Laporte, Indiana, it's called Full Tilt arcade uh right now they're open thursday through sunday from uh 3 to 9 p.m and they have a lot of cool stuff and uh my friend's been telling me too like it's crazy that that's open now he's seeing like uh finding out that there are local pinball wizards in town and everything who are coming by to like check out machines and like set high scores and they're uh just yeah it's, it's crazy Brad, I never knew that you were into pinball. I mean, oh. it's it's not something that I'm actively into, but now that my friend has an arcade and I'm I get I have a chance to like more readily yeah. play these machines, it's just been a lot of fun. If you ever go to Vegas, you got to go to the Pinball Hall of Fame. It's like this huge warehouse just with like all kinds of pinball. It's like insane. I've heard about it. It looks it looks pretty cool. Okay, uh, I think I might might have mentioned this on a podcast yesterday, but uh, I attended a Halloween party on the Disney lot in Burbank. It was a D23 event called uh, Spellibration. Halloween Spellibration is what the name of the event was. The cool thing about the event, like they had all sorts of like games and goodies and trick or treat. Mickey was there and you could get your, they had a costume contest. But the cool thing was I'm usually on the Disney lot uh, to see a movie and I'm a big film geek, so I'm always like, I love being on a movie lot, and I'm always like looking at, oh, oh there's, you know, there's stage uh, three. That's that was built for twenty thousand leagues under the sea, and that's where the Nautilus scene was. You know, I'm like that kind of guy, and usually we're not allowed to take any photos or any video on the lot, but this time because it was D23 event, I was able to record video, and we released it on uh, Ordinary Adventures. So check that out if you if you're interested in seeing the uh some of the disney lot i was able to like nerd out about it which was kind of cool and speaking of uh self plugs i was i was looking at my my podcast app last week and uh, a, a podcast from 21st century spielberg popped up chris what what is uh, going yeah, on i here? haven't had a new episode in about a year since uh west side story which came out last holiday season and um, the main episodes, the, you know, the big episodes, 21st Century Spielberg, they're, they're scripted. And I, I do a bunch of research and I, you know, I write it all out and I read it. And it takes a very long time to edit and put together. And I decided um, in the meantime, since I, you know, I'm paying for this hosting and not doing anything with it, I would start doing these sort of fast and loose episodes where I don't have a script. I don't really have, I have like a few like notes here and there, but nothing really concrete. And I just riff and i just you know go off the cuff and this was a uh, a special halloween episode for for poltergeist which spielberg wrote and produced and people often think he directed even though i don't and i, I briefly go into that in the in the podcast so uh, i don't know how often i'll be doing these but i want to start doing more on just like little topics like this just to just to keep the podcast alive uh since you know like i said i haven't done it in a year and it's kind of bad. So I want to I want to keep it going a little bit. So yeah, if, if you don't listen to it, subscribe today, please. Thank you. Chris, you need to watch whole seasons of the TV series that he produced and then do an episode on the, the horrible TV shit, like the Terra. What was that? Yeah. Terra Nova. Terra Nova. How did I forget that, Brad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the bad Amblin TV era. There's a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's move into what we've been watching. Uh, Brad and HT both watched the same thing. Brad, why, why don't you tell us what you watched? Actually, I'm going to let HT go first. 
Oh, yes. So we both watched Weird, the Al Yankovic story, which is the uh, Weird Al Yankovic biopic in air quotes, starring Daniel Radcliffe as the parody singer. So this is very much a movie in the vein of Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, even has a title very similar to it. Um, It's very silly, very absurd. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is unhinged and incredible in it. I'm really enjoying him in his character actor era, just embracing the weirdest, wackiest roles um, because he has that Harry Potter money. He can just do nothing forever. But instead he gives us beautifully strange roles like this in Swiss Army Man. Um, And Evan Rachel Wood, who stars as Madonna, is also incredible. She's just completely chewing up the scenery in every scene that she she is in. Um, And it's a much lighter film than um, I would even say Walk Hard is. I think it's it's no Walk Hard, which is, I think, just the the pinnacle of these kind of uh, biopic uh, parodies. And um, I, it's it, Walk Hard was so good that we they should have just killed the biopic genre altogether. It was that it was that incredible. It skewered it so much. But um, Weird is just it's just fun. It's a really fun time at the movies, and it's silly and absurd enough that it really justifies. Uh, even seeing in the theater, although I don't think it's available in theaters as far as I know. I think it's a Roku-only release, uh, which is a shame because it would kill at a movie theater. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, HD. This is, I was thinking, man, this would be so much fun to like be laughing with a bunch of people in a movie theater somewhere. Um, and uh, you're right that this isn't quite as good as, as Walk Hard. That, that movie just is definitely the, the pinnacle of this kind of parody. But what I appreciate about uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story is that it, it takes the biopic parody to a completely different level because it, it feels like it's, you know, inspired by Weird Al's life, but in an absurd way. But then it veers into uh, essentially without without spoiling what they do, it veers into almost like alternate universe territory in a way, not, not in a Marvel fashion or anything like that. But uh, it definitely puts a different spin on Weird Al's career and how it unfolded at, at a certain point. And then uh, definitely goes way off of like the traditional biopic path after that. Um, but yeah, Daniel Radcliffe is, is fantastic. The way he just plays everything so straight and super dramatic, it makes the movie even better. Uh, and this movie is also packed with cameos. Uh, like even in the most like insignificant bit parts, you'll have uh, some random famous person appearing just for the hell of it. Um, so yeah, definitely give this a watch uh, when it comes out on Roku. Uh, it really is a shame it's not coming in theaters, but uh Check it out. And also uh, stay tuned because as soon as the movie is out, we have uh, interviews with uh, the director, Eric Apple, and also Evan Rachel Wood. Jacob, what have you been watching? Well, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I am alone in San Antonio, hours from my friends and family, or hours from my friends and wife. uh, And I wanted to go to the movies on Halloween night. So I went to my local multiplex I've been going to since I was a small child. And I saw Terrifier 2 at a theater where I was the only customer. I didn't see a single other person who wasn't an employee in a very large, empty theater. Uh, And if you know anything about Terrifier 2, you know this is an incredibly strange way to see this movie. I know Chris saw us um, uh, 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 either at Fantastic Fest or or Screener for Fantastic Fest. But this is the uh, sequel to the um, 2016 uh, slasher evil clown movie that uh, I hate the first Terrifier. It's one of the worst ones I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I guess it's an incredibly boring, disgusting uh, <laughs> um, thing, more so than a movie. But the sequel, uh, the director, Damien Leone, is quoted as saying that he literally took all the reviews that said the first movie had no story to heart. So he's made a 
two and a half hour long slasher sequel about an evil supernatural clown who murders people. Um, that to his credit is surprisingly character driven and it has surprising amount of character development in between extremely lengthy sequences of some of the most disgusting, debauched, horrifying violence I've ever seen in a horror movie. It was made for like $500,000. It was released in limited release, but due to its just transgressive, uh, disgusting filthy sicko nature it just started gaining word of mouth has now made close to eight million dollars in limited release uh so that's why i was seeing a multiplex instead of streaming or in an art house theater because somehow this incredibly deranged like completely amoral thing has struck has somehow struck nerves uh so jacob i I have to ask you did it make you throw up oh no um that's (laughs) the thing um i guess i'm just a sicko because i was incredibly impressed by the violence. It, the violence in this movie is truly upsetting. It's it it is it's, it's it walks a fine line between being cartoonish and real. I I, I don't know how to su- summarize it beyond that because it, it it is genuinely cruel violence, but it's so cartoonish that it um, is hard to take seriously. So it's it's, it's a combination to have a that's really hard. Yet it's really a case of you got you got to see it to understand it. Uh, Chris, is that accurate to say that this is what I'm trying to say here? Oh yeah, definitely. I th- I think it is very uh it's extremely over the top. So even if you're disturbed by it, you have to sort of sit back and be like, well, <laughs> like there's there's people who like get their faces ripped off and they're still alive and screaming somehow and it's like that that probably wouldn't happen. So it's <laughs> it's yeah, I I think you're accurate right there. Yeah. But if you can see us in theaters, either alone or with a crowd, I think be able to say you saw Terrifier 2 in theaters uh, amongst, and, 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 and as a part of civilization, um, which is the movie's, it's the movie's anti-civilization, <laughs> then you should definitely uh, find that time to go do it. Well, if you have a strong stomach, it really is a filthy, disgusting, immoral thing. But I'm, I will be, I'll be first in line for Terrifier 3, which I'm surprised to say because Terrifier 1 is literally one of my most hated movies of all time. And, and it wouldn't be a Jacob what you would uh, what I've been watching segment if it didn't mix a weird horror movie and Star Trek. Yeah, I just want to quickly shout out the season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks. We've covered uh, Star Trek Lower Decks very heavily on Slash Film because uh, one thing we've learned um, over the past year is that people really like reading about Star Trek, which made me very happy for us to double down on our Star Trek coverage. And it's a really, really good season. A really good season of television. I like how uh, the, the animated comedy version of Star Trek is made by people who are such dedicated Trek fans that each so far each season finale, while funny, has clearly pressed pause and being comedy. For the, so as they kind of said, you kind of picture the writer as being like, "Can we just do Star Trek? Can we just make a Star Trek?" And so far, uh, the season three finale follows season one and season two finale in being just a really, really good Star Trek episode that happens to have a few more jokes happen to be animated. So you're one of those people who um, put off watching the show and there's this, there's this still a, an increasingly small segment of Trek fandom who hate the show just because it, it they, they think it dares to make fun of, the, of, of Star Trek when it's actually just, it's just really good Star Trek with jokes. Uh, and season three, I thought was probably the strongest season yet. Uh, yeah. I just want to shout out that honestly Paramount plus is not, a network that I think is on everybody's lips, uh, but all the new Star Trek is worth the Paramount Plus subscription, and I'll be subscribing to it forever and ever. Thank you, Jacob. <laughs> I want to I want to ask uh, because I love Mike McMahon's Solar Opposites, but I'm not as any, anywhere near attuned to Star Trek as as you are. Is it something that somebody like me can still appreciate and get as much out of, even if they don't love Star Trek as much as you? 
my guess is yes, and I'll tell you why. Which is my, my wife has been watching a little bit of Star Trek with me over the past two years. We're doing the, the, a podcast, Project HT, which we've mentioned before. And so she's not a Trek expert. She's still very, very new to Star Trek. She's, she's seen the original series, but very, very little of the, of the next generation era, which is when this show takes place. And uh, she loves it. She, she finds it really funny. She loves the character. She loves the storytelling. And she doesn't get the Easter eggs. Each episode is jam-packed with Easter eggs. But the, the episodes never hinge on Trek knowledge. They, there, there are dozens of jokes per episode that are references and asides to like previous you know Trek lore. But you never have to understand the Trek universe to appreciate the characters or their stories. So I would, I'd say, give it a shot, Brad. I think you may. There's a real Futurama vibe to it. It really feels like you know how Futurama at its best told really compelling sci-fi stories that were also really funny. Yeah, for sure. That's what Lower Decks does. I think I think you should give it a shot. Okay. Okay. Uh, moving on to HT. What have you been watching? So Halloween has come and gone, but uh, in the lead up to the spookiest day of the year, I, of course, had to uh, go to a couple movie watch nights with my friends and uh, watch some spooky movies. So uh, I watched uh, for the first time these two movies. I watched um, Adam's Family Values for the first time. So I know I feel like I'm gonna, I can hear people already yelling at me. You haven't seen Adam's Family Values? No, sorry. I've only seen the first Adam Family movie in the 90s. And this is my first time watching Adam's Family Values, and uh, I loved it. Um, Joan Cusack, Camp Queen. <laughs> uh, so I really enjoyed the Adam's Family movies. Um, I don't, I don't know if I have quite the nostalgia for them as a lot of people do, just because I watched the Adam's Family young and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like on frequent repeat like a lot of. Um, like it was for a lot of people. And of course, as you know, I have not, I not seen the Adam Family Values before, but yeah, if I had watched this when I was young, it definitely would have been a very formative part of my personality just cause it's fantastic. It's funny. Uh, it's campy. It's uh, silly and just like, exactly what you want in a, a family, you know, Halloween movie. I, great movie. Um, and another movie that I watched, a very different one for the first time, uh, was Thirst, the Park Chan-wook vampire film starring Song Kang-ho as a Catholic priest who uh, undergoes a, a, an experiment um, for a, a highly infectious, deadly disease, uh, and it gets a blood transfusion, which seems to bring him back from the dead um, in a miraculous recovery, but then he discovers that this blood was actually vampire blood um, and has turned him into uh, a vampire who thirsts after not only blood but also uh, the fleshly sins so he start, he falls in love with or in lust with uh, the wife of a childhood friend and it becomes this uh, very charged affair between the two of them uh, as they try to rein in their uh, separate impulses and find similar kindred spirits between the two of them that are both um, you know, dark and disturbing, but also uh, extremely intimate. And um, yeah, it's a really, really sensual, really just like fantastic movie. Um, I'm sure Chris has a lot to say about this one, uh, but I, I love this. And it's so interesting to me watching Song Kang-ho in this film uh, under Park Chan-wook, where he's often the muse of Bong Joon-ho. And Bong Joon-ho loves to depict him as kind of like this doddering, uh, often fool of a character who kind of untaps into his more darker impulses at the end, um, or even more heroic impulses in the end. And here Park Chan-wook was like, no, he's, he's, he's sexy. He's baby. 
<laughs> so that's one thing that I found really interesting uh, to watch. Um, but yeah, Thirst, great movie. Um, Chris, do you have anything that you want to add about Thirst? I feel like you would have something to say about about it. No, I, I I think it's it's great. I think you you covered pretty much what it, it it's such like a sexy stylish uh kind of weird movie it was not what i was i was like just expecting like ah it's a vampire movie and it's much different than that while still being a vampire movie so i i I think it's great it's a great movie yeah great movie um so last movie that i watched in the sort of spooky um uh vein was The Blair Witch Project, which I had already seen before, but I actually watched for the first time last year. I think I talked about that that on the water cooler, actually. Um, and you were kind of, all kind of surprised that it played as well for me uh, now as it did when it first came out, which was uh, the beginning of the found footage era um, and a movie that everyone was not, was not sure if it was real or not. Um, and it kind of played into those fears and the paranoid fears and um, just the, uh, the fear of the unknown. But even watching it again, after having seen it for the first time, it's, it's such a good movie. It's such a well-made, uh, really fantastic movie that does play into that fear of the unknown and uh, is so much more effective in what it doesn't show. Um, it's just really cap- is able to capitalize on your imagination as a viewer. And of course, uh, it's just a pitch perfect depiction of sort of like this time, this Gen X time um, uh, of people who were, it feels very realistic. No wonder people thought it to be real when it first came out. Um, and like these interactions between these these people who are very, very much out of their depth. So yeah, great movie, Blair Witch Project. Always, always rewatchable. Ben. You also watched The Blair Witch Project. I did, and I'd never seen it before. So this was my first time. Uh, my wife and I watched it on Halloween. And um, yeah, I, I agree with everything HT said. I, I was uh, shocked to discover how well I thought it, it held up. Um, and and I think it's uh, like like the the idea of it, it um, not showing you what you think you're going to see. Like th- there's no way a movie like this would get made now because anytime, it, you know, if it this movie had a pretty small budget and it was acquired at Sundance. But I feel like if it, if a movie like this were made today and it was uh, maybe even like the same, same type of thing and a distribution company or a studio acquired it, they would basically like make them go back and reshoot stuff to like add in things. Um, and, and I think this movie, like HD said, is so, so much stronger because it doesn't show you that and it just leaves it purely to your imagination so um yeah really uh, impressed with the way that uh that it does a lot with so little um so yeah I, I appreciated that i mean like the you can go into a deep dive afterwards of just like reading about how this movie was marketed because that's the the big thing right like I, this was a phenomenon when i was growing up and i just somehow missed the whole thing and but i remember those conversations of people being like is this real what's happening and i you know my my first thought after watching this is like how how did that happen? How did so many people think it was real? And when you read about the marketing decisions that they made, like the links that they went to where the three actors, the three lead actors, uh, according to Wikipedia anyway, I didn't go any further than this, but evidently like their IMDb pages had them credited or listed as uh, like missing or dead for like the first year that the movie was released. <laughs> so like, you know, and, and they had like uh, 
and also the, it's their same names too, right? It's like yes. itself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they had websites and stuff where like they would make videos with um, people, pretend, actors pretending to be police officers and like people pretending to have all this information about them. And like just the level of um, like misinformation out there about this movie that was purposefully done because the internet was such a different place in 1999 is just kind of crazy. And like, I think they went way too far in, in going, you know, trying to push this as real, but um, it's just really fascinating to read about that stuff. So uh, yeah, it, it's, it's more of a, it's more than a movie. I think. Uh, even 10 years later, Paranormal Activity had the same kind of thing where it was like picked up at a film festival and released. Uh, but Chris, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they like reshoot some of that? Yeah, they definitely redid the ending. There's like several different endings. So yeah, they definitely did some some reshoots to to, to polish it up before giving it a, a big release. Brad, you had something to say? Oh, I was just going to say one of the things that uh, I always think of when I think about Blair Witch Project is that uh, it was one of the like last times I remember um, having to worry about going to a theater and it being sold out. Because even though I was young when this movie came out, uh, my you know my, my parents were willing to take me with to the theater to see this because you know I, I was interested in it. And uh, the, we we went to the theater like two or three times to try to see it, but because of the the hype was so big around it, like the showtimes were sold out. And you don't really have to worry about that nowadays. Not only because the movie would be in enough screens, but also because you can see online now if it's showed out sold out ahead of time. So you don't show up and you're just like, ah, shit, guess I can't see it today. Uh, <laughs> but I remember being a kid and that happening with the, the, the star Wars special editions, um, nightmare before Christmas, uh, Blair witch project. Uh, <laughs> but that, that was the last one that I really remember. Like there being like screens that were sold out. And you just like had to wait to see it. <laughs> and I think also today, now that there's not film prints, you can digitally, they can make the call to put it in another screen if it's like selling well, you know, before that day. Um, so there's there's things that can be done now. But yeah, I, I, I never like I guess I'm buying my tickets in advance, too. So I, I guess you're right there. Uh, ben, what else have you been watching? Yeah, I also caught up with The Northman, which came out earlier this year. This is the new movie by Robert Eggers, and I really enjoyed this. Um, it's it's uh, I think his most straightforward movie, even though it has like some cool like elliptical uh kind of like wtf wtf moments in it um but it's uh i yeah i would argue that it's it's maybe like his most accessible sort of straightforward um just like down the middle revenge story with like some some cool artistic edges maybe uh but i i appreciated what he was going for here and um i love the the look of it like the um the on location photography which i think most of the movie was filmed in iceland and uh ireland and northern ireland it was just like gorgeous to look at um and and it really you felt like people you know trudging through the the mud and the um the water and everything it's such a tactile movie you really like feel the the cold and the misery that they must have felt um you know both the characters that they're supposed to be uh inhabiting and then also the actors actually going through this and, and doing it for real um and that that sort of uh tangibility tactility is something that i always appreciate in this you know era of like full cg nonsense so um yeah really really good stuff i, I wish ani taylor joy had like a little bit more to do um the relationship between her and uh and alexandra skarsgård who's the lead of the movie um i thought like they had some good chemistry together but like it just it felt like maybe the movie got uh hacked up a little bit um studio notes and things of that sort i i, I thought ani taylor joy was really good i just wish she had yeah just maybe like you know a couple more big scenes and then uh nicole kidman i i really liked what she was doing in this she has a, a really terrific scene that i did not see coming at all um 
in, in sort of like the, I don't know, back half of the movie, I guess. Um, so yeah, uh, The Northman is streaming on uh, Amazon Prime Video if you want to check it out now. Uh, but but Ben, after watching The Lighthouse, how could you enjoy a Robert Eggers movie that's like completely without farts? Oh, just a single fart in this movie. The, there was a fart. I remember, uh, yeah, it, it, when um, the, the kid version of Amleth goes down into the cave with his dad, who's played by Ethan Hawke, uh, and they're like pretending to be wolves. Ethan Hawke like belches in Willem Dafoe's face and the kid uh, farts loudly <laughs> as uh, as a wolf. And I was like, well, there you go. There's uh, Robert Edgar's, uh, you know, fart count for this movie. You can yeah, add one to farts, the the, the witch has no farts, which means that we need to go back in time and like add farts to the sound mix of the witch. <laughs> Release the fart cut. <laughs> okay, I, I I am not a big reality television person, but I think out of this crew, I'm probably the person that watches the most reality television, probably because I, I watch Survivor every season and uh, I sometimes give the Netflix stuff a chance and give up on it. Although I, I like that one that uh, Brad recommended uh, that they had a second season of uh, what was that called? Love? Uh, no, not Love is Blind. That was bad. Uh, Brad, what was the reality show? I guess it was more of a docu series than a reality show. Yeah, about- Love on the Spectrum. Love on the Spectrum. Yeah, that was great. Uh, but this over the past weekend, I binge watched in the period of one day. The entire se- uh, season of The Mole. This is a new reality show on Netflix. It's a, it's a re- redo of, I guess, a reality series that was from uh, decades ago. I never saw it originally. And uh, the premise of this show, it's a competition reality show where at the end there will be one winner and that winner will win a sum of money. Uh, and every episode, the people on this reality show are competing in these competitions that will put more money into the pot for the winner to win at the end of the season. So the catch here, I'm sure you probably know this is that one of these people is actually a mole that is hired by the the show to actively work against the team. And the team doesn't know who the mole is. And this, this mole is either, you know, messing things up or strategically setting things up for them to put less money into the pot. And uh, every episode, everybody goes and has to do this test. This is uh, kind of, um, I think it's like a 20 question test to see how much they know about who the mole is. And the person who gets the most amount of answers wrong gets kicked off. So it's unlike Survivor where, or any of those shows where you like vote on people. This is the person who like is the, the most, uh, I guess, stupid to what is going on get, get, gets voted off. Uh, but the, the missions here are very, are a lot of fun. They're kind of like, seem like they are designed off of escape rooms. Like there's one where they have to escape a prison. It's all shot in Australia. It's, it's very cinematically shot. Um, there's some, some really cool premises here where, People that might not be the mole are given choices that will put them or the team in a better position, but at the risk of making them look like they're the mole in the choice, if that makes sense. Um, so it, it's it's a lot of like uh, fun the whole time guessing who is going to be it. I was completely wrong on who it was. No spoilers. Uh, but as a, a fan of social deduction uh, board games and card games and escape rooms. This feels like it's like someone 
saw that both of those were rising in popularity right now and was like, let's bring back the mole. This we could uh, we could pitch it as kind of like a, a combination of those things. Uh, Jacob, I wanted to ask you because I know you're a fan of both of those things that I mentioned. It, it, would have you seen the mole and or would you be willing to give the mole a chance? I've watched a little bit of the original mole back in the day. Um, I think I saw a season or two. Uh, but I, I always had trouble with it because it, it still had the obvious reality show ticks. I love the, I love it conceptually. I love that it's an actual game. I love the strategy. I love that it's essentially a board game writ large across a season of television with a with a recurring cast. I just found the casting and filmmaking ticks and expected reality show beats of the original series to be unbearable. Um, <laughs> so if, if this one, I don't know. I guess I would I would love the mole if it kind of treated itself a little more seriously I mean, is, is the tone here one where like the people are allowed to be people and not reality show props i mean i think it's i mean i never saw the original one that had anderson cooper this one has a different host um i mean it's not completely serious but it's also when i turn on a lot of the netflix reality shows i feel icky like the people are all douchebags and this is not one of those things i feel like there's some relatable good people uh, some characters that you're interested in and you don't end up feeling gross by watching it. Uh, but it still is a reality show. So not sure. If- <laughs> I may give it a shot. I, I, I will say when it comes to Netflix reality shows, I have watched all of the circle. So it's not like I'm opposed <laughs> to trashing Netflix reality shows. Uh, so yeah, maybe I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention really quick is the vow season two on HBO. I've only seen the first episode. I was really worried that this was going to, because the vow season one, uh, was so good. It was about that cult, cult uh, Nexium, um, which had uh, Allison Mack as one of the, the the leaders of that organization. It was so compelling. If you haven't seen The Vow season one, watch it. It's a great uh, documentary series. I wouldn't consider it a reality series. It's, it, it's a documentary in season form. And I was kind of worried that season two was going to, uh, you know, be like – you know, take the turn of like most of these Netflix kind of like, uh, like, uh, and I know this is HBO, but most of like the, like the Tiger Kings or the, uh, um, the, I don't know. It, it feels like it, 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 uh, it stops following the story and then it just is like going back and talking to the victims. It, it, it like, it, it feels like it has less of a narrative story to follow, if that makes sense. It's relying more on the past. And The Vow Season 2, at least judging by the first episode, it's very compelling. It's following the trial of, of, of the leader of, of this organization. And uh, the interesting part is a lot of the people, actually including um, the leader himself, are actually participating in this documentary. So you're seeing both sides of the story. You're seeing uh, people that are fo- still following him, him himself, but also the people that have kind of pled guilty and are like leaving him out to dry in court for this hearing. You're getting to see their story as as the court. You're getting flashbacks to stuff that's happening, but you're also getting the forward momentum of what what's going down in court. So I, I, I've only seen one episode. It could go downhill from there, but I'm really enjoying The Vow season two. Brad, what have you been watching? Um, I have been watching um, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I saw it at the Chicago International Film Festival. Uh, this is, isn't coming to theaters until November 23rd, and then it'll hit Netflix on December 23rd. I will not spoil anything. Do not worry about that. Uh, but I will say 
um, at the risk of cranking the hype machine just just a little bit. Uh, that Glass Onion uh, pulls off the m- miraculous move of actually being better than Knives Out. Uh, it takes the murder mystery to another level. It's funnier. Uh, it's bigger. The the narrative itself weaved is is more complex, but not in a way that it feels like it's trying too hard. It's just it's great to see that Ryan Johnson really didn't try to just uh, duplicate, you know, the success of Knives Out and tell uh, the same kind of story with just a completely different cast and, and location. Like he really tells a different kind uh, of murder mystery here. Um, and it still comes with a great amount of like commentary on certain aspects of today's, you know, uh, society, you know, on a number of different levels um, with great, great characters. Everyone in this ensemble is, is fantastic. Daniel Craig uh, is even better in this movie than he is in Knives Out. It's uh, it, it, I was just thoroughly impressed by this movie and I, I can't wait for everybody else to see it so that uh, I can talk about it. I know Chris is in the same boat because uh, he, he saw it at TIFF and he's uh, itching to talk about it as well. Oh yeah, big time. It's It's so good and I can't wait for people to see it. Uh, I also saw Tar, uh, which is another movie where the, the believe the hype about it because man, it's it's fantastic. This is one of Kate Blanchett's uh, greatest performances. Uh, she plays this uh, fictional, I would repeat, fictional composer uh, and conductor named Lydia Tar, uh, who has this spectacular um, fall from grace from being um, this extremely respected uh, composer and conductor to just basically losing everything. And the way it unfolds is. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a slow burn, but it's, and it's a longer movie, but, uh, it's one where, because Kate Blanchett is so good, uh, and the tension that builds and the, the fantastic score, uh, and, and even the way Todd Field shoots it, like just, just everything about this movie is, is mesmerizing. There is a phenomenal, uh, one take scene in this movie, uh, that done so well, you don't even realize it's, it's one take, uh, unless you're really paying attention, but it's just the way he moves the camera around, uh, this single room is just, uh, it's so precise and just uh, fantastic. I, I absolutely love this movie. So if you if you haven't seen it yet, uh, it should be playing roughly in theaters everywhere, I think, by now. It's gotten a wide release, so make sure to go out your way and check that out. It will be a, uh, a big contender when award season rolls around. Uh, and then to echo uh, Jacob's sentiments about Paramount Plus having some good stuff right now, even though you know it doesn't get as much uh, praise and flash as some of the other streaming services... Uh, the new episodes of Beavis and Butthead are fantastic. Uh, it is it captures the spirit of the original series. It feels like the show uh, never left. It is just as uh, stupidly funny and and immature as ever. The way it uses Beavis and Butthead in like contemporary times and the things that they do with all the technology and stuff that has evolved since then is fantastic. Uh, not only that, but they bring back the interstitial stuff where they either watch music videos or now they look at YouTube videos or, or TikToks and stuff like that. And man, the commentary from Beavis and Butthead for the, this, these uh, segments is hilarious. And then there's also a cool new wrinkle too, because uh, if you watch the Beavis and Butthead do the universe movie that came out between um, before these episodes did, uh, it sets up the fact that Beavis and Butthead time traveled, which is how they're young and still in uh, in contemporary times. But they do an alternate universe thing where you get to see into the other world where Beavis and Butthead are are older and still just you know complete screw ups and you know living terrible uh, immature lives. But uh, yeah, it's 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 hilarious. I was thoroughly impressed with just how good the show still is and how how funny it is. So check it out on Paramount Plus. Does it relay that information with that? Like, if you haven't seen 
the movie would you understand what's going on there yeah so like it it sets up how, how you're why you're seeing an older version of Evis and butthead because there are these alternate uh super quote-unquote smart like kind of space alien versions of Beavis and butthead they kind of look like uh the watcher but as Beavis and butthead and so it, it explains like when they have those segments like what you're seeing and, and why it's like that but i will tell you go watch Beavis and butthead do the universe because that also is equally as funny yeah i saw it it's pretty good uh chris what have you been watching? Uh, I finally saw Bullet Train, um, and uh, it's not a good movie at all, which is kind of weird. I was expecting like, oh, that'll be fun, but no. It has, it has this really crappy, hip screenplay, and it's the type of screenplay after Pulp Fiction came out, there were all these movies that were like, we got to be hip, like Pulp Fiction, and have all these cool hitman characters, and that's what this feels like, but with better, it's like better action, I guess. So like the action scenes are fine, but the, the movie itself is is not very good at all. And it feels like that's inexcusable to have like a good premise like that and a cast that good. And the movie itself is just like blah. So shame on everyone involved with that movie. Chris, is this an elliptical movie for you? No, this was I just watched it because uh, to watch it and uh it would That's not even shame. it wouldn't even be good for that it would just be like oh what a, what a waste so bullet train now on blu-ray so You've i'm been guessing warned. david leach is zero for zero for you he is not good man he i i, I you know he's he's like the weaker of those those two guys well, i think sure. but yeah. also he's like in great shape he's gonna hear this and kick my ass i'm sorry david leach please don't come punch me in the head why is okay, I have too much of a bullet train, Chris? Maybe help me answer this. One, why is the expensive movie look so cheap? Uh, it looks incredibly cheap. Oh, yeah. And two, how did the Thomas the Tank Engine joke get filmed? It is the least oh, funny my God. Gag I've seen in years, and it keeps going. Like poor, poor Brian Tyree Henry, man. He deserves. He's such a great actor, and he's trying so hard to make that running. For if you haven't seen the movie, there's this running quote unquote joke where his character is like obsessed with Thomas, the tank engine, and he just keeps talking about it. And he's trying so hard to make that work. And it's so painfully (laughs) funny. And it's just like, how did no one realize that this is a bad running gag? Like there was not a single person who was like, I think this is stupid. We should cut it. So apparently this, uh, this, yeah. this is something that is in the, uh, the source material. Cause, uh, oh, really? yeah. Cause we talked about this on, uh, Aaron Newworth's podcast, uh, out now. And, uh, he said that, that, that running gag is in the, the source material. So I was, I was also flabbergasted by that. And I was so glad to hear you say all the stuff about bullet train. Cause I've had so many people be like, be like, well, what do you mean? Why don't you like it? It's so fun. And it's like, no, it's just, it's whatever. It's just like, who cares? Like, it's yeah. The all trash. Like all the material is there to make that a really fun action movie, and they just like whiff every every step of the way. It's, yeah, it's like kind of shocking how like poorly they execute that entire movie. Like I was just like sitting there, like wow, this is not good at all. I don't understand. And it's like so it feels like it goes on forever, and there's too many characters. I just felt like an old man watching it. Like ah, there's too much going on in this movie. So Bullet Train, good movie, really good. You should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> and i think uh jacob you were the one that asked how you know where did the 90 million dollar budget go I'm, I'm guessing right into the stars of the movie's uh bank accounts yeah i'm guessing yeah i, yeah. I guess it, it must be a combination of brad pitt's paycheck uh the fact that it's, it's it was one of the, the big first like major covid productions i guess there was a lot of COVID yeah. stuff. it's like it is, it is one set it's a one train set with screen screens but like 
without spoilers, the, the last scene in the movie where they're off the train is an outdoor scene against a digital environment that looks like a 90s point-and-click adventure game. It is <laughs> it's a nightmare to the eyes. <laughs> okay, let's move on to what we've been eating. Brad, what have you been eating this week? Uh, just a few little fun treats that have come back. Um, not come back, but have come out for the first time. Uh, there is a, a new Little Debbie Nutty Buddy cereal. Uh, now, the Nutty Buddy bars are one of my favorite, uh, I guess you could say, after-school snacks. Uh, they're those uh, chocolate peanut butter bars that have like the wafers between them, and they're, uh, they're just fantastic. And so they decided to take that concept and apply it to cereal. Um, obviously the, the texture of the cereal is not the same necessarily. So like it's, it's, uh, it's closest, I guess, uh, relation would be the Reese's peanut butter puffs, but these are not quite as chocolatey and or peanut buttery as the Reese's peanut butter puffs, but they do manage to like taste, uh, replicate the taste of the, uh, nutty buddies themselves in cereal form. Uh, so the cereal pieces, um, like they're kind of shaped like nutty buddies. They're rectangular. They almost look like tiny little, uh, chocolate loaves of bread with three holes poked in them. Um, but there, it's a it's a very good crispy, crunchy cereal, and like the the flavor replicates the um the the snack without just you know copying Reese's peanut butter puffs, which I was actually kind of surprised to see. Uh, so that that's on shelves. I, I got it at Walmart, but I'm sure it's it's all over by now. Um, there's also a new uh, flavor of Red Bull that's out, and I will say I'm not really a, a general Red Bull fan as far as like just the plain old. Uh, Red Bull, but I have really been enjoying the various flavors they come out with during the seasons and whatnot. They have like a watermelon one. They had a, a dragon fruit one uh, earlier this year, the strawberry apricot one. Uh, and for the winter, their new winter edition is fig apple, uh, which I feel is more like a fall flavor to me, but I guess the fig maybe kind of changed that a bit. But uh, it's basically like an apple cider uh, version of Red Bull. So if you need like a good energy drink, but you don't want it to taste like uh, carbonated urine, uh, then I would go with the Fig Apple Red Bull and not any regular Red Bull. Uh, and then uh, for a last little fast food entry here, uh, Pizza Hut has these uh, new things called Pizza Hut Melts, which are basically uh, kind of like, um, they're kind of like Pizzones in a way because it's essentially two pieces of pizza, but like folded on one another. and But it's like a thin, crispier crust. Uh, and plenty of toppings and it gives you like dipping sauce and the crust itself is like coated with uh, a dusting of of parmesan cheese and and, and seasoning and whatnot Uh, and as far as what i consider fast food pizza goes since it's pizza hut uh they're pretty good they don't necessarily shake a stick at pizzones which i love and wish were still around instead of coming back only intermittently um but as somebody who doesn't necessarily love regular pizza hut pizza anymore this was kind of a nice change of pace and it's uh better i think than than the traditional pizza just because of whatever seasoning they're using for for the crust and how crispy the thin crust is so yeah pizza hut melts and uh, go get them at pizza hut i'm looking at the marketing images for these pizza hut melts on google and they actually make me want to order pizza hut yeah they're they're very appetizing uh images for for the pizza so yeah you know dig in (laughs) and and i do say that very dismissively because i would never order pizza hut (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think that uh, does it for us today. Uh, before we end this, does anybody want to say anything else to HT before she leaves? HT, I love you. I'm going to miss you so much. Yeah, yeah. HT, it, it's not too late to stop and stay forever. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe you should do the inverse of going to inverse. <laughs> I, I will say, if you want to hear more HT, it's currently on a hiatus, but Trekking Through Time and Space returns early 2023. If you like Star Trek and Doctor Who, HT and I are keeping that project going 
I'll see you outside of work, HD. Yes. If you still want to listen to this to this voice, this annoying voice on a <laughs> podcast regularly, that's where I'll be. Um, also, Chris, maybe you can invite me back for another 21st Century Spielberg, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And next time I'm in New York, we'll, uh, we have to get together. Yeah. I might try to steal you, HD, just for like you know, a little bit here and there to do a Slash Film Daily, like a guest spot on this podcast. Oh, again, yeah. So. I'm always down. That'd be cool. Uh, Chris, do you want to plug the newsletter? Oh, yeah, I guess I should. There, we have a newsletter now. Well, we've had it for a while, but I'm writing it now. Uh, it goes out every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, and if you're not subscribed, I hope you will, because it's a good way to keep up with Slash Film. We, we publish so much stuff on a daily basis. And my hope with the newsletter is that if certain stories uh, fall through the cracks, you can you can find them there. So uh, you can find the link to it on our Twitter, on our website, uh, my Twitter. It's it's all over the place. Please yeah. please subscribe because uh, I want you to, and it looks good if you subscribe. <laughs> yeah, it's a but- really good newsletter. It's so funny. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks. You can find the link in the show notes. Uh, you can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye, HD. Bye, HD. Bye, Bye HD. Bye, we'll HD. always have Dune memes. Yeah. <laughs> this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.